Welcome to an emergency edition of Politics Pulse, where we get the pulse of the nation, uh, perspectives on what is going on in Washington and beyond. And uh, today we are in a position of Democrats having woken up, finding an unexpected Christmas present under the tree in the form of two apparent wins in the Georgia Senate races that will deliver them the slimmest of Senate majorities and deliver President-elect Joe Biden a majority in the House, the executive agencies, and a majority in the U.S. Senate. But the question is, is this all a good thing? Is it complicated? My sense is there's a lot to unpack in this particular Christmas present. No one better to do that than my guest here, Joshua Holland, uh, editor, writer, political analyst extraordinaire. You can find him all over the internet. You should look him up. Joshua, welcome. And uh, let's let's jump right into it. I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to be talking about it. It, it, it was not, did you, I mean, be honest with, with our listeners here, you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in politics better than just about anyone I know. Were you expecting when you went to bed last night that this is the way this would go down? Well, as a, as a high level political nerd, I did not go to bed last night until I knew how this was going to go down. But as of yesterday morning, I absolutely did not expect this outcome. And I, I have to tell you something, Matt, I didn't allow myself to expect this outcome. It is, um, this is Georgia that we're talking about. This is a state that has a very rich tradition of voter suppression and a lot of shenanigans with closing polling places, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the Republican election officials in Georgia have gotten a lot of praise for standing up to Donald Trump's efforts to um, overturn or, or undermine the, the legitimacy of the election. But um, these guys are, are good at, at, uh, at suppressing Democratic votes. So I, I did not expect to pull this off. Although I, um, I was feeling more uh, optimistic as the past, as it became clear over the past couple of weeks that Republicans were not running with a very, very targeted focus on the message that they needed to check unified control um, by Democrats, that they needed the Senate to be a, a, a balance against um, Biden and, um, and, the, and the House and the Democratic-led House, and instead indulged in these conspiracy theories that said that the voting is rigged, et cetera, et cetera. That was, I, I mean, I, this is one of those times when the conventional wisdom is fairly obviously right that that hurt, um, that hurt their that that hurt their turnout on the on the Republican side. This is why, as a personal matter, I never feel like I need to seek revenge because I feel like not only is the arc of the moral universe long and it bends toward justice, but also these things just tend to come around and we're seeing that in a big way, obviously, with uh, all the ways that Donald Trump's behavior is now causing Republican chickens to come home to roost. But, you know, I do think that it, it sets up this kind of um, interesting question. Political playbook led this morning with the following sentence. Twin Democratic wins with Joe Biden's agenda to life, with demands from progressives to go big and bold and centrists not to overplay their hand. Hope you're ready, Chuck Schumer. So that kind of gets into what I was talking about at the, at the top of the show here, that this is probably, you know, good news, smiles all around. But it does remind me a little bit of the end of the 1974 movie, The Candidate, where Robert Redford finds that he's won. And then he turns to his campaign manager and says, 
What do we do now? There's a lot that Democrats have to do now. So is this all good news? Well, I mean, if you're a progressive, the and you, and you just look at who's running the, uh, the who's chairing the committees, it, it's 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 good news. I mean, you're going to have um, if Lindsey Graham is no longer going to be at in the justice uh, running the the judiciary committee. You're going to have um, Bernie Sanders in charge of the bud, budget committee. Yeah, it's 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 good news. Now it's going to be difficult because um, they clearly don't have the votes in the Senate, at least at this point, to talk about um, filibuster reform. So the most powerful people in Washington right now are arguably like Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kristen Sinema of, of Arizona. The kind of more conservative Democrats are going to have a lot of sway over this caucus, but. You know, for those who have a long memory, it seems to me that everything is relative. And, and one thing is fairly clear to me, which is that the kind of blue dog moderate Democrats in this Congress um, are going to be significantly more progressive than in the 2009 era Congress that um, that Barack Obama had to deal with. So. We'll, see, you know, we have yet to see how that will play out in terms of legislation. But this is is it's going to be a very different dynamic than what we saw um, in Obama's first term. That is a really killer point that the center of gravity has shifted a little bit. And I, I worked in the House, so House side, but same kind of politics. I worked for Blue Dog members, and uh, I can tell you that that Blue Dog kind of uh, center left, very moderate coalition is definitely very different today. I, but I, you know, I kind of want to ask about the about the left side of the equation. I mean, you are really tied in um, to the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the progressive wing yeah. of the party. How do they? How do they position themselves? It, it seems like there's sort of a there's sort of a, a dilemma here. For I don't want to just reduce this all to AOC, but let's just use her as, as sort of an example. Um, for the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world, there's sort of the outsider strategy of agitating, putting pressure, um, you know, being loud on Twitter, trying to push publicly uh, the, the agenda of the Senate and the House and, and the Biden administration to the left toward the priorities that, that you believe in. There's also what you might call the Elizabeth Warren strategy, which is certainly robust on the outside, but is much more about being a cagey inside operator, getting your people placed in strategic positions, making tweaks to legislation that go in the direction that you want. So how does the progressive left and their leaders navigate this in this new Washington reality? Well, I, you know, I think that there is more than one progressive left at this point. Um, you're seeing a, a real divergence on the left and, and the usual suspects are not falling exactly where you might have expected them to fall on issues like forcing a vote on, on uh, Medicare for all. This was a big kind of, you know, brouhaha on Twitter. Uh, and in the, the lefty world over the last couple of weeks, whether they should um, use their leverage over getting Nancy Pelosi, uh, the speakership to force a vote on Medicare for all. A lot of people who are very, you know, very militant leftists thought that that was a stupid strategy. And um, that was a really an intra-left fight. So I think we'll see what I hope is that there will be some lessons learned from the Obama era um, 
And I think that you are seeing as more progressives, more, you know, real, even self-identified socialists, social democrats, uh, get into power the, with the squad. I think you are seeing uh, a bit of a, a divergence and, you know, those people are playing an inside-outside game. They are playing an inside-outside game. You have the a contingent of the left, that you could call it the podcast left, the Twitter, you know, left. That is, um, and I, you know, I'm going to get in trouble saying this, uh, and some of these people are actually my friends, but they are um, very, very into score settling. They have made things like support for a specific approach to healthcare reform, a litmus test and, um, you know, they're shouty. They are seen by a lot of people as the left. And I think that that's a mistake. And we, we have to stop looking at the, you know, these podcasters that don't have a lot of influence within the movement writ large, right? The left is, grassroots organizing, the, the left that matters, it's, it's the grassroots organizers, it's labor, it's environmental people, it's the immigration activists working um, to really achieve movement for, in the center of, the, of gravity in this country. And, um, you know, I, th I think that they're gonna have more um, reasonable expectations of what can be achieved because look a lot can be done a lot can be done even if you don't get rid of the filibuster there's a lot that can be done we're going to talk about this on my podcast this week um among other things is what can be done through budget reconciliation what can't be done through budget reconciliation that's a process for those who don't know where um and you only get a limited number of shots because it, it uh, uh, at this because it has to do with reconciling the budget just like it sounds but you can achieve a lot and it can't be filibustered in the in this in the senate so even if you don't have the votes to eliminate the filibuster or reform the filibuster which i again i don't think that they do have um they can deliver a lot for the progressive wing and for their constituents writ large and i think that there's a real understanding that if they don't do that they are going to have uh well it will be almost guaranteed that they lose the, the 2022 midterms, but also that they will have an enduring problem with their base, with, with the demotivated base. They have to deliver. And they, and they, and they seem to know it. I, I mean, the, the, the sense that I get speaking to, um, to congressional reporters is that, is that there is a, a understanding uh, you know, um, among the, the among the Biden people and within the Senate Democratic Caucus, that uh, they actually have a very short window to do stuff, and um, and that they really have to do, and they've learned from the the experience of the Obama administration. Yeah, you're you're putting me in mind of uh, the famous scene in The Untouchables where Robert De Niro gives the speech about, you know, you can be a star on your own the live long day, but you get nowhere unless the team wins. And I I do get a little bit of that sense myself from the people I talk to. Um, not I'm not as well sourced um, on the progressive left as I think you are, um, but I, I I do get this sense that uh, that this is all about delivery. That there are really significant challenges greater, I think, than were faced in 2009 uh, with the incoming Obama administration. Yeah. And uh, that this is all about delivery, that, that 
you know, they're going to rise and fall on, on what they get done. Of course, another mechanism, you know, that, that I think that comes to mind as you talk about how to go about getting things done is the potential for kind of a redux of what we saw at the tail end of 2020 with, you know, the Senate is big on gangs, right? And so you saw this kind of moderate coalition, some Republicans, the Murkowskis and Romneys of the world, and uh, uh, some Democrats, the Mansions and uh, Shaheens and, and Hassans of the world. Do you think that there is uh, enough potential on the Republican side in the Senate for moderates, maybe for outgoing senators like Burr and Toomey um, and, and some of these Collins, Murkowski types to want for their own incentives, for their own political purposes, to try and, you know, create moderate positions and, and craft legislation together? Um, or do you think that this is going to be much more of an exercise in political muscle, reconciliation, using the tools uh, of legislating to kind of get things through? Well, I mean, you know, the the Senate Republicans face the same kind of structural issues that they've had throughout this time, right? Trump is not going to go away. He's going to control a significant share of the base. Um, the conservative media has created a kind of uh, a punishment infrastructure for working with Democrats. You, you, it's it's very, very difficult for these people to work across uh, the aisle. The one, so I, I am not optimistic at all. Um, the one area where where I think that there could be some some progress, you could get maybe 10 moderate Republicans to work with Democrats, um, give, give it, to give Democrats a filibuster-proof uh, margin, would be some kind of... Um, Milk toast, good government stuff, uh, to try to you know address some of the weaknesses in our institutions that have been laid bare by Donald Trump. So uh, you know you could see various reforms to um, the Judicial Vacancies Act. Uh, you know Donald Trump, for example, is leaving office with uh, multiple agencies being headed by these people who are described as the senior official acting in the capacity of, you know, the head of Department of Homeland Security or whatever, uh, the government is riddled with those. And, you know, those kinds of reforms, I think you probably could get, I think you could probably get a, a, a bipartisan coalition to pass some of those with the Romneys and the Collinses, Susan Collinses, et cetera. But um, I don't see, uh, I, don't, I don't see Republicans having the, um, the wiggle room to work with Democrats and, you know, yes, even some that may be retiring, you don't have that many that are retiring, first of all, uh, not enough to get you to 60, but even after retirement, they, they are expecting that they, they have a post-Senate uh, post career somewhere in conservative politics. And um, remember that Trump and, and his family and some of his, um, you know, more prominent supporters are, are saying that they're well, they've raised a lot of money and they're saying that they are explicitly going to target uh, Republicans who, you know, do not remain loyal to the president, even when he is out of office. And so it's going to be um, it's going to be very difficult for them to to become reasonable. And this is this is the big problem for the Republican Party. Right. They've created a monster here. Every moderate, even center right policies are just demagogued beyond recognition on Fox News and now with 
OANN and and even more, uh, you know, Newsmax, even more extreme media um, gaining a greater voice in the conservative movement, it's going to be even worse. So, you know, are you going to be able to do criminal justice reform? Mm, maybe. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. To- yeah. I, I wouldn't hold up. My, of course, you know, you and I have talked before about the fact that and you alluded to this a few minutes ago, there really is a surprisingly short window for an incoming administration to get through their agenda. Now, there's a lot that a president can do through executive order, through agency action. And believe me, there is a steaming pile of problems that the Trump administration have left behind in all of the executive agencies. So the agency folks are going to be, they're going to have their hands full with trying to clean up that mess. But legislatively. Uh, We know from historical studies that there really is about an 18-month window where you're most effective, and it comes in that first 18 months of a four-year presidential term, especially with a president like Biden, who is widely anticipated to perhaps serve just one term. It is going to be a a pretty narrow uh, gap that they're going to have to try and fit a lot of problem solving through. And that sets up a little bit of the gumball problem where you have a lot of things trying to move through a potentially narrow opening. So what do you think the priorities have to be for Democrats now that they have the an expanded ability to move things? What does that order of operations look like? If you got to, if you got to really move only like three things, what are those things? This is a, a kind of complex question, uh, more complex than it seems at first, because uh, there's a few things going on. Let me let me first say that um, this is one reason why it is so important that they picked up those two Senate seats, because they are not going to spend a ton of time fighting to get every freaking nominee in, in place, right? Um, this is going to streamline, they're going to be able to focus on the issues at hand and assemble a team that they want um, yeah, near a tandem is pretty happy today, right? Yeah, no, this is a this is really important in terms of just freeing up enough bandwidth to deal with the things. Uh, then there are some extremely obvious, you know, um, crisis-driven uh, priorities. The highest priority is uh, fixing the vaccine rollout. I mean, that is the highest priority, and and the other measures that they've um, that they've already said that they're going to take to contain the coronavirus pandemic after that uh and and you know the the economic stimulus parts of that as well so that that's obviously their first priority and and that's not even a choice after that then you have to ask well what can be done through budget reconciliation or um what stands a chance of getting 60 votes and then that's why that's why it gets a little more complicated because you can do things in budget reconciliation on uh, taxes. You can roll back Trump's tax cuts to get more uh, income. You can do some immigration stuff. You can do some climate stuff. You can expand the Affordable Care Act. There's a lot of things that you can't do through reconciliation. So, you know, I mean, I think that one of our highest priorities has to be climate, right? And that's a difficult thing to do through that process. And there's, um, so I think that voting rights is really, um, is really high on the list. And that's gonna be something that is 
is not very easy to um, to do with with fifty seats in the Senate. But um, you know, there's. I mean, that has to be the party's priority is a new Voting Rights Act. I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I think that they should pursue it aggressively and make Republicans actually filibuster it and not, you know, pre-negotiate with themselves. But, um, you know, of what you can do, um, because budget reconciliation, the easiest, most straightforward things are things that impact the budget, you can kick a lot of stimulus out the door. You can do a lot to deliver for people's, you know, um, kitchen table problems for uh, rent and, and covering, you know, necessities. You have, you have still, I think we're 10 million jobs in the hole still. Um, so uh, whatever the, the number is, we're, you know, still have a, a very high level of unemployment. So they can deliver all of that uh, very early and they're going to have a, a lot of pressure to do so. You know, in the minute or so that we have left, I'll just say going back to what I led off with at the top that, that quote from Politico about the pressure, the demands from progressives to go big and bold. I think a lot of the success of the entire Biden and, and Democratic enterprise over the next two years is going to turn on redefining what big and bold means. And if it's only in the form of passing a giant piece of legislation, a la the ACA, ARA, the attempted cap and trade that was uh, undertaken in the House 11 years ago, uh, that's going to be a problem. If you can redefine it, if you can get things done in a lot of places in the agencies, in smaller, by uh, attaching smaller pieces to reconciliation, um, you know, and if you can get people to accept that, then I think you can be successful. But that's my perspective. 30 seconds left. Democrats will be successful if fill in the blank Joshua Hallett. Well, I mean, I think th it's 30 seconds. Matt, you're killing me here with 30 seconds. I'm killing you. I know. I know. But you're the Democrats, best. So Democrats will be successful if Donald Trump stays in the picture and keeps their base motivated so that they avoid the typical midterm drop-off. Joshua Holland, thank you very much for that insightful last word and for joining us on Politics Pulse, the podcast on the show today. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it.